welcome to Ringside Chaos, the professional wrestling discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. The only professional wrestling podcast in the world where pro wrestling is discussed passionately, with confidence, with great knowledge, and most of all, in the most sophisticated way. So brace yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, because chaos is about to be unleashed. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Ringside Chaos, the professional wrestling discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast and Paint Train Pipe Bomb Productions. My name is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. The Bear of Texas, and ladies and gentlemen, I have a very, very special episode for you tonight. Now, I've got to be honest, uh, as far as uh, Tales from the Territories, uh, yes, I actually have been watching, but doing episodes on this show, I was just something that I'm like, eh, I just don't feel that it's, you know, it's not for me, basically. I'll be honest with you. I just felt that like that. Now... Don't get me wrong, I don't find it not interesting. Tales of the Territories is absolutely amazing. I mean, you to say, for me specifically, to say that I'm going to learn a thing or two would be an understatement because you learn a lot. I just basically just did not feel that maybe, you know, because I've got other things going on on this show like that. I felt maybe, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it here on this show. But this particular episode, I had to actually make an exception because this particular episode was about world-class championship wrestling. And the episode title is, you know, WCCW Wrestling's Lone Star Legacy. And because I am the Bear of Texas, and I do hail from the Dallas-Fort Worth area of the state of Texas, world-class championship wrestling was basically my territory as far as being a wrestling fan goes. Had I been a fan during that time, I would have been an absolutely very loyal supporter of world-class championship wrestling. At my age during that time, I would have loved to have the opportunity to meet the Von Erics because, ladies and gentlemen, to this day, and this will never, ever, ever, ever change, the Von Erics will forever be heroes to the community of Dallas-Fort Worth, and even in the state of Texas, hell, the Von Erics are gods in the world of professional wrestling, and in the state in the state of Texas, they're beyond gods. Especially here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, the Von Erics they are our heroes. Then, now, forever, and the ones that we lost so early, God rest their souls. Rest in peace, Fritz Von Erich. Rest in peace, all the ones that we lo- again lost early. Kevin Von Erich, God bless you. I basically, if I could one day meet Kevin Von Erich, it's going to be an absolute honor to thank him personally for everything that he's done. I have actually, believe it or not, I shook the hands of Ross and Marshall Von Erich, who are Kevin's sons. That was an honor. I thanked them for everything, told them I was huge fans of theirs and the family. They were grateful. It felt good to personally thank a Von Erich. It, it really does. So. so going back, as I kind of basically got a, certainly got carried away, being from Dallas-Fort Worth and a huge fan of professional wrestling, you know, back in the days when pro wrestling was very regional and territorial, world-class championship wrestling would have been my go-to promotion, you know, being, a, being you know, living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So, so you know, this whole thing, this whole concept of Tales of the, from the Territories, WCCW just had to be mentioned because WCCW was one of the greatest territories of back in the day. 
Now, before I kind of go through this episode, I do have my own bit of uh, history from research that I have, you know, with world-class championship wrestling. You know, of course, you know, it was ran by Jack Atkinson, who, of course, we know is, you know, Fritz Von Erich. We all remember how it was basically a territory of the National Wrestling Alliance until 1986 when it became its own major national promotion. But eventually, the fact that it broke away from the NWA, eventually that's what led to its downfall. But at least there was some success at the beginning of that. But Fritz von Erich ran it from 1966 to 1988. You know, from 66 to 82, the promotion was known as the NWA Big Time Wrestling. And then after that, in 82, when it became world-class championship wrestling, when Fritz von Erich uh, decided to cut away from the National Wrestling Alliance, you know, he made the name change. So, you know, honestly, you, you know, it's a shame that it had to go down. But then again, you know, all the territories went down, too. So it's not like world-class championship wrestling was the only... It was the only victim. I mean, when, when Vince McMahon took over in 1982, Vince McMahon was systematically going around taking away the talents from all the territories. I mean, he was basically committing that very infamous or famous for some wrestling fans, the raid of the territories when Vince McMahon took everybody away to his promotion and you know made WWE global and successful as it is today. Now, speaking of Vince McMahon, you know, again, since I'm giving a history lesson, did you guys know that Vince McMahon Jr. went against his father's wishes into expanding and making the promotion global? Basically, Vince McMahon Sr., from what I understand, did not want his promotion to become like that. Like they, I mean, those guys, those old school guys, felt that the whole thing would be territorial. They thought that the whole territorial thing would be forever. Now, that's clearly not the case. Now, back then, it was called the Worldwide Wrestling Federation when Vince McMahon Sr. was running it. And, of course, during the days of the territory... The WWF was the territory, was the promotion, wrestling promotion territory of the New Jer- of the New York, New Jersey area. So basically, Madison Square Garden was basically where they had their shows. Now, I'm sure that they probably had shows in other arenas around that area. I'm sure they did. But, you know, Madison Square Garden was basically their, their, home, uh, their home base as far as the shows go. Now, the office, I, I'd imagine, was in Connecticut, was in Stanford, Connecticut. But, you know... Like that, so, so world class championship wrestling, the the tremendous and the height of the success was from 1981 to 1985. I mean, the attendance records were through the roof. I mean, the the television program, the ratings, everything. I mean, all the talents that have worked there over the years. I mean, Chris Adams, the fabulous Freebirds, Jake the Snake Roberts, Mick Foley, who performed as Cactus Jack, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was there because you know he was trained by Chris Adams. Gino Hernandez, a young Shawn Michaels. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, (laughs) Abdullah the Butcher, (laughs) Bruiser Brody, (laughs) Big John Studd, Jeff Jarrett, Jerry the King Lawler, Harley Race. (laughs) Do I need to go on? Dory Funk Jr., you know, the Dingo Warrior who turned out to be the Ultimate Warrior. Chavo Guerrero, Chavo Classic, who wrestled there as well. Jim Cornette, you know, managing you know, the, the the Midnight Express had, had a brief stay at World Class Championship Wrestling, and Jim Cornette was there. Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, the Junkyard Dog, Kamala, man, King Kong Bundy, Coco Beware. God, this just this, this does not even end. You know, even Mark Calloway, who, who, of course, we know is the Undertaker. I think, you know, during that time, he was a big Texas Red or something like that. 
Oh, the missing link. Mil Mascaras. Well, the one-man gang. Percival Pringle Ju- the third, Percy Pringle, I should say. Who, of course, is Paul Bear. You know, a female wrestler from the 80s that I strongly, truly admire and, ha- and highly respect to this day. Princess Victoria, God bless her heart. God bless her heart. Princess Victoria, you are a hero. You have my respect. I strongly, strongly admire you. Princess Victoria, you are truly an inspiration. You are truly an inspiration. And seeing, you know, what happened to Princess Victoria, it brings so much tears into my eyes. I just have a lot of respect for her. But to continue going, the nature boy Ric Flair even wrestled there. Of course, we all know that because of that match with Kerry Von Erich at Texas Stadium. Skandor Akbar, Stan Hansen, Dr. Death Steve Williams, Terry, of course, uh, Terry Funk, Tony Atlas, <laughs> uh, Toru Tanaka. Oh my God. I mean, I know the list goes on, but now I'm pretty sure I freaking, I spent too much time going over this particular list. I think I've done enough, but man, Toru Tanaka there too. Oh boy, man, man, oh man, oh man. And I'll be honest, now I'm getting emotional talking, mentioning Princess Victoria, because you know her story about what happened with her man. So I'm telling you, Princess Victoria, I've I've watched many of her matches on YouTube. I've even watched the match that she had with Judy Martin with World Class Championship Wrestling. Man, Princess Victoria, absolutely unique, amazing in the ring. Absolutely amazing. I mean, ugh, man. If I could ever, ever have the opportunity to have Princess Victoria on this show, I, that would be one of the coolest things ever. Because Princess Victoria, I mean, the way, you know, her, her brilliant talent in wrestling and everything, I mean, even you know, what we learned in the uh, the Portland episode, uh, the Donna ones, the Portland Territory, I mean, she was actually part of the uh, round of the table that spoke in that episode. Man, Princess Victoria... Has to say that I respect her is just such an, an ama- a, such a huge understatement. Like I said, God bless her heart. Anyway, so now we're kind of going through the history. You know, see, seeing uh, David Manning and uh, of course Kevin Von Erich in this episode is, a, is an absolute no brainer. Um, I'll be honest, uh, Chavo Guerrero Jr. being there doesn't surprise me too much because again, he's part of the one of the biggest wrestling families of the Guerrero family. You know, the, the Guerreros, you know, you think of the Hart dynasty, the Von Erics, the Guerreros, man, a lot of them. So, you know, you know gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, you know, Brian Adia, so, uh, you know, it, it's basically perfect, it, it's basically perfect, and, you know, Honestly, you know, uh, people when people were saying that they, they they didn't even know that Bruiser Brody worked uh, was was a regular worker for World Class Championship Wrestling. To me, it's no surprise because because you know, let's not forget Bruiser Brody was trained by Fritz von Erich, and of course, as we know, Fritz von Erich was trained by uh, Stu Hart. So, so you know, you, you kind of see you know as far as uh, you know Fritz von Erich being trained by by Stu Hart. I mean, what does that have to do with Bruiser Brody? I know, but uh, it kind of mentions like one legend trained by another, but. But Bruiser Brody, yeah, being a you know a, a, a constant you know a usual guy working with World Class Championship Wrestling, it, it it's uh, you know it's no surprise, and we all know Bruiser Brody was very very close to the Von Erichs because in that episode of Dark Side of the Ring, the episode of the Von Erichs when uh, 
I forget which I, I forget which one it was. I believe it was David who died in Japan. And if I get it wrong, I I deeply deeply apologize from the bottom of my heart. I you know when I I'm pretty sure I, I believe it was David, but. You know, that, that story how when uh, David was found in his hotel room, you know, found by Bruiser Brody and how Bruiser Brody helped get rid of, you know, certain things, you know, like that. You, and, you know, Kevin on air told the story of when Bruiser called him and, you know, told him like that, how Bruiser Brody was, you know, crying, bawling and like that. Like, we, bas- we basically see, like, we, we saw, like, the bit of the human side, you know, of, uh, of Bruiser Brody, but <coughs> anyway... So, kind of getting off uh, off topic again. I'm just you know so beyond excited. But anyway, kind of lost uh, my train of thought. But you know, Bruiser Brody again was one of the biggest names. And you know, I was actually surprised in this episode he was not mentioned. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe it was out of respect. Or I I don't know. Maybe obviously you can't. WCCW is just so huge. I mean, it's basically. It would take forever to you know to uh, finish you know to to basically uh, get through everything. But you know, as we learned early on, how you know Chavo starts out by mentioning how he grew up in the business that professional wrestling is what is has fed his family for over eight and a half decades. You know, you know, of course, as we know, his father Chavo Classic worked uh, many times uh, with WCCW. You know, of course, WCCW make you makes you think of the Sportatorium. You know, which you know, it's it's not there anymore. But I have been, I have seen the grounds before. You know, with Major League Wrestling, I'll never forget when Ross and Marshall Von Erich filmed a vignette with their father Kevin. You know, on the on the grounds of uh, where the Sportatorium used to stand. So I'll be and I'll be honest, that actually did bring tears to my eyes as well. So, but aside from the Sportatorium, World Class Championship Wrestling held their events at the Reunion Arena. And I think they also did. They also did shows on the other side of the Metroplex in Fort Worth. So, because and we also learned that you know they also actually did uh, non televised shows uh, around the the North Texas area. You know because the territory also shows that I think it was also part of the Austin territory as well. Actually, or just above Austin. So, but you know, but I know that they did shows. You know, in, in towns outside of the area, and, and I'm sure they did non televised events in Fort Worth too. So we'll see. I mean, it was a Dallas Fort Worth area territory. So. Anyway, I went back with, you know, how Chavo Guerrero starts out like that. And David Manning, who's a huge part of WCCW. David Manning, we, we, we know at this point, he was a referee. He was the booker for WCCW. He was Fritz Von Erich's right-hand man. David Manning, you know, credit, you know, basically credited WCCW for starting the, uh, the concept with vignettes and entrance music, you know, in the wrestling business. So, man... And of course, Kevin Von Erich, you know, puts over his father, describes him as an honest and fair man that demanded that from others and demanded it from himself. Man. And of course, you know, Garvin describes uh, Fritz as a, you know, an old school promoter. So, yeah. Man. You know, of course, when we learn about how Fritz Von Erich's, you know, did not want to do anything with the NWA anymore. He wanted to go out on his own. I mean... That basically kind of shows the the heart and the guts that Fritz von Erich had because he believed in himself that he could do a good job, you know, running it on his own. But you know, one way or the other, the NWA was going down. All the territories were going down. So, so I'm just glad that you know when Fritz von Erich pulled out of the NWA, WCCW was on top and doing absolutely well. And unfortunately, had to, it, it ended up being bad. But but you know when they start, you know, gentlemen, Chris Adams, man. See, I I did not even know anything about Chris Adams other than that he was a wrestler. But you know how we start. We learn about you know, I think when when Brian when Brian uh, 
you know, who, who actually uh, shared once shared a hotel room with uh, with Chris Adams. And this was actually when they were doing a show in El Paso. Now, I'd imagine this must have been a WCCW event that they were doing, or it might have been another promotion. But the story is that Brian and Chris were in the same hotel, and then after a show, Brian wanted to go wanted to go for a drink, and they went to a bar. They they were in El Paso, so they basically went to Juarez, like through the border, and went into a bar, and basically how. Uh, Brian describes that, you know, they were the only white guys there, so he kind of says we were the only gringos there, so I guess everybody was kind of not looking at them like that, and basically they were drinking, and then Chris Adams got into an argument with with a couple of people, then all of a sudden, one of the, one of the people in the bar just stands up, and they mention, like, you know, you know when somebody reaches in their pocket, reaches, does this with their body or their arm, they're reaching for a gun, and that's exactly what happened, <laughs> So I guess Chris Adams pissed off this guy so much this guy reaches for a gun and then he, and then Chris and Brian just run, run out of the place they get chased they get shot at oh they somehow make it you know through the border again and then I think Brian uh went to his went to the room first and when Chris walked in he punched him right in the face I'm like oh, oh my god ugh. I mean, the fact that the fact that when they they do these uh, scenes, the these scenes like these redone scenes from like making it look like how it happens, Chris walks in and then gets punched right in the face, and ugh. And, you know, and Brian said that the lesson is right here is that you do not ever, ever, ever go out drinking with Chris Adams. So, but of course, they mentioned that it's hard for them to talk about somebody that who's not there because you know Chris Adams, I believe. Passed away in 2001, I believe. He died in Waxahachie, I know that. If I were to take a wild guess, I believe Chris Adams passed away sometime between the year 2000 and 2004. But if I was a betting man, I would say it would have to be either in 2001 or 2002. Not entirely sure, but regardless of the situation, uh, rest in peace, Chris Adams. But, you know, these stories just get even wilder. So, basically, story number one from Chris Adams gets goes out goes out to drink in a, in a bar in Juarez, Mexico after a show in El Paso. And <laughs> whole thing going through the board and everything like that. And them getting chased, getting a gun point, pulled on them and getting chased at and shot at. Oh, man. You know, the interesting part is that Chris Adams apparently did not remember... What what had happened? The, like the following morning, like they said that he had he did not recall he had no recollection of what happened, and based on the events, as when he was told, when he was informed, he just basically said, "Oh, I'm sorry, mate." Ugh. <laughs> oh. You know, honestly, I just <laughs> even know what to say about that. But but again, you know, the, the lesson out of that is, you know, you don't go out drinking with Chris Adams, but. But if you think that story is is wild, I mean, you might as well brace yourselves because, uh, again, you think that story right there is crazy. This this thing is about this thing is about to go on a whole different level, and we're talking overseas, but we're not just talking about one country, a country to the south. Like we're not talking about something that happened in Mexico or in Canada. I mean, we're talking something that happened in the Middle East, in the Middle East, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, most specifically in Israel. Okay. Now, Kevin said, you know, the fact that WCCW was huge in Israel is actually, that's actually very, very cool. Okay. It is actually very, very interesting because, you know, a, a, a territory in the United States being huge overseas, like a, uh, in the Middle East, I mean, 
that is that that's something that, that that's going to be talked about forever. And here I am talking about it right now. So I think Kevin told the story that I think WCCW got a letter from a. Uh, from somebody living in a Palestinian territory of Israel, and basically, and they were basically, they basically said that the show was very, very popular in Israel, and I think that Von, Kevin Von Erich, like they, they weren't aware of it. I, I, I mean, I, I might be wrong, but from the look, from the sounds of the story, is that they were amazed to see that they were popular out there. So, which, which is what you know encouraged the idea. Hey, if if we're popular there. Why not go out there and have a show? I mean, according to this, it was one of the top shows in the Middle East. And, you know, when Kevin said that, you know, there was Arabs and Israelis sitting down together watching world championship, world-class championship wrestling. I mean, that is actually something that actually makes me happy. I'm of, I'm of Arab, I'm of Arabic origin. So seeing, you know, all the, seeing something that can stop the political violence, the political hatred between Arabs and Israelis, and for, and basically, if we're talking about a bonding over the, a love and appreciation for professional wrestling, me as a professional wrestling fan of Arabic descent, that, ma- that makes me happy. Because a bonding over a mutual interest in a particular hobby or an interest like that is very huge. So, so they do a show in, in Israel, um... They never said what city. I, I'd imagine Jerusalem. I mean, I'd imagine either Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. I'm not sure, but so they do the show again, you know, because they were so popular. And basically, after the, I guess after the show, Chris Adams goes into another bar, and then and then we're told that yeah, he gets uh, he gets into an argument with a bartender, and the, the 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 argument gets heated. It turns into a fight, and then Chris Adams gives the uh, bartender a super kick. And in the in the midst of the chaos, the bartender loses his eye. So, so basically, uh, you know, this is what David Manning's telling the story. So David Manning gets him out of there, and then basically, there's that story about how the the passport is taken. It's in the hotel lobby, and then David Manning like literally snuck downstairs and took the passport because they had to get Chris Adams out of there because, you know, he just he had he had just assaulted somebody, and then that and then in the assault. That person that he kicked lost their eye. I mean, you're in huge trouble for that. I'd imagine in in the Middle East, not just in Israel, but in the Middle East, for something like that, you'd be in big, big trouble. I mean, you probably just get you you probably get a life sentence. But anyway, so David Manning sneaks down to the hotel lobby, takes the passport, and then he mentions you know he you know Adams put on a hoodie, put on sunglasses, and they snuck out of the hotel again and had to walk two blocks to get a taxi to go to the airport. And they get to the airport, and of course, because, you know, flying internationally, you have to go through customs, you have to present your passport. And basically, David Manning is, is hoping that they hadn't, you know, blocked out the passport yet, because, you know, if you look at the passport, they scan it, and they see that it's blocked, and they see why. Yeah, you get detained, and, you know, David Manning would be arrested as well for attempting to get the guy out, so... So amazingly, they look at the passport, and they let him through, and, if, and I, like, I love how they say, you know, once you're through, that's it. So... Chris Adams, you know, gets, I get, imagine goes through customs, gets through security, hops on a plane and flies back to the United States. And David Manning, you know, hightails it back to the hotel. And I, and I think basically because, you know, the, the police were going to be on, on, on the way to the hotel to arrest Chris. And I think, you know, I'd imagine David Manning, you know, by a streak of, by, by, by some freak of luck, made it to his hotel room before the police could. So, you know, they just, he says how they banged on the door got in and then demanded, you know, uh, where's Chris Adams? Do you know where he is? Are you sure? And Chris and David Manning just says, 
I don't know. I've just been here sleeping, and then I guess they just they just leave. But but David Manning, I mean, he, you know, how he says like, man, if he had been caught or anything bad would have happened, he says I'd probably still be in Israel today. I mean, that's probably uh, that's probably absolutely true. But man, man, oh man, oh man. You know, even David Manning admits that the whole thing was stupid. But you know, but but you know, I, I love. I said if things did not work out the way it did, yeah, I'd imagine he and Chris would still be locked up in Israel today. So, oh, so so that for a story about the incident in Waters is crazy. Now this whole incident in Israel is crazy. But you know, just when we think it, it, nothing can come out of it, something else does happen. But this time it was in it was in uh, San Juan. So. So I'm I'm not I, I forget exactly how it goes. So I, I think he was in San Juan, and I guess uh, I'm not sure if he was flying there to do the show, or if he was, if, or if this was after the show, and he was flying back. But whatever it was, there was a delay, and then apparently there was a, a something about giving the, the a full plate of wrestlers free alcohol, and of course Chris Adams, you know the whole thing with alcohol like that, you know the the, the incident in Juarez, the incident in Israel. Then all of a sudden, yeah, he, he saw a free alcohol with Chris Adams, and we all know that that's going to lead to chaos. So all of a sudden, they tell Chris Adams, they they basically, they cut him off. They they cut him off from the alcohol, and Chris Adams, you know, with the whole, everything like that, Chris Adams does not take that lightly, and he gets very, very angry about it, okay? So he starts putting up a, a ruckus, starts putting up a front with the flight attendants, and then the pilot gets involved, and then, like, I, I think he basically, like, stood up to Adams. I mean, I don't know exactly what he said, but whatever whatever the case was, Adams gave him a vicious headbutt. You know, and Kevin Von Erich told the story of how there was that loud crack. So I'd imagine Kevin Von Erich must have been there or maybe just knows the story. But, but you know, he put it, he, he headbutted the, the pilot. The pilot suffered a broken nose. And, man, and the police, and the police you know, were aware of it. I don't know if the police witnessed it, but... You know, whatever happened, I mean, Adams served six months in federal prison be, uh, due to the incident. They mentioned because it was a federal offense to put your hands, you know, on a flight attendant or a play, or an airline pilot. So, oh, man. So that was the story about about Chris Adams. That's, just, that's the Chris Adams section of the episode. And man, man, oh, man, oh, man. I mean, th th as a journalist, as a journalist that adores professional wrestling and as a journalist that adores stories, you know, period. I mean, these stories about Chris Adams... Man, are they crazy! Man, are they crazy! So we're done. So we're done with Chris Adams. And now they, we kind of go through a little bit of the uh, the a little history of Kevin Von Eric. You know, Kevin again, bless his heart. I've met Kevin's sons, Russ and Marshall Von Eric. Again, I would love to one day have the opportunity to shake Kevin Von Eric's hand and you know, you know, tell him you know how much I appreciate him and his family. You know, pay my respects, you know, to the family as well, to his brothers and, you know, to his father. And just tell him how much I admire and respect the Von Erich family for, you know, the legacy and everything like that. So, but, you know, I like how they tell a story that, you know, Kevin Von Erich is, is, is the oldest of the Von Erich brothers. And he's basically been seen, you know, he's the most athletic. You know, we always talk about Kerry Von Erich, you know, being like that. Now, Kerry Von Erich, obviously, the looks and, the, and how great in the shape he was in, that tells one story. But... But, you know, we're seeing how Kevin was the most athletic, you know. You know, basically, one of the things about WCCW that I should have mentioned at the beginning, world-class championship wrestling was known for hard hitting, which doesn't surprise me because in Texas, that's how we do it, y'all. That's how we do it. We do not go soft in Texas. We do not take it easy on anybody. We are mean. We are tough. 
We are fearless. We do not back down. You want to fight? You're going to get a fight. <laughs> you, oh boy. But anyway, jokes aside, I mean, in Texas, we're not really mean. We're nice. We are nice. We're just tough. But anyway, in world-class championship wrestling, the style was very, very hard-hitting. You know, of course, you know, Bruiser Brody, that, that certainly fit him, his style, because he was, you know, he was a, like that too, but... But Kevin Von Erich was actually known for being a for being a, a very stiff worker because again he's tough you know he's a Von Erich I mean come on you're, you're Fritz Von Erich's son of course you're tough of course you work stiff huh. I mean Stu Hart taught Fritz Von Erich and we all know how Stu Hart you know t- trained his wrestlers all the stretching stories that we heard about Stu Hart huh. I'd imagine Fritz Von Erich must have done the same thing I mean the fact that Bruiser Brody was trained by Fritz von Erich. I can imagine what Bruiser Brody went through learning the ropes from Fritz von Erich. I can imagine any wrestler trained by Fritz von Erich or trained by Stu Hart. Oh, the horror stories with the stretching. Oh boy. Oh boy. Anyway, so one day uh, David Manning talks about the day that he first met Kevin, and you know one of the proudest things right now with Kevin is that Kevin and I have something huge in common that we both attended the University of North Texas. Now, I'd imagine, I'd imagine by, at the time when Kevin was there, I think it was still North Texas State University. I'm not sure what it was back then, but it was not UNT like it is today. But, you know, I'm proud that Kevin, that I have the same alma mater as a member of the Von Erics. But anyway, so, you know, during that time, yeah, he was, I think, working out with Carrie, and then Carrie, you know, introduces Kevin to David, and David, again, was a freshman at North Texas, and and they say that how the first day he broke all the weight room records. And then Kevin actually tells the joke that he always worked on his upper body. And as he did, his legs got bigger because he never did leg work. But anyway, Kevin t- then proceeds to tell a very, very interesting story. He was working with, uh, you know, I'm glad I wrote the name down, Buddy Roberts. Because if I hadn't wrote it down, I would have said Buddy Rose. But so he was working the match with Buddy Roberts. And there was actually a spot that Kevin admits that he must have gotten it wrong. He probably got the timing off or whatever it was. And in professional wrestling, these these things happen. You know, things like that are going to happen. You know, mess-ups are going to happen. You know, mess-ups like that. But but the story is, is, you know, he gave a... Like, basically, Buddy Roberts was kind of sitting down. It was in that position, you know, on the, on the corner of the ring. And then Kevin Von Erich gives him a... I think a kick, you know, gives him a, like a foot to the face. And apparently... Kevin Von Erich cut his foot, and there was actually something, and then word got back to Kevin that Buddy does not like brushing his teeth, which means that bacteria could have definitely gone into the gone into Kevin's foot through the wound, so then Kevin says there was a joke about he would need a, a, a rabies vaccine, but but Kevin says, you know, he did get his foot sewed up, and then, it, then the next day, uh, it popped open, so... And then he went to the hospital. And then Kevin and then Kevin says that the doctor said to him that he would have been bitten, he would have been better off if he had been bitten by a by a copperhead snake. So, so you know, speaking of teeth, I mean the the story after that, you know, and I'm glad you know. I, watching this episode, y'all, I mean, I took my notes. I mean, I literally have almost like a page and a half worth of notes. So that that was that that's what was difficult. I mean, this is something I used to do, you know, uh, a lot, you know, taking notes, but. You know, we're talking about teeth, uh, you know, like, there's a story about how Kevin has a, had, a, like, a bad tooth, and he was basically telling everybody about it, and it was causing him a lot of pain, it was annoying the hell out of him, and like that, and basically, all of a sudden, Kevin goes to a maintenance worker, and, uh, and, you know, I think he told his brother David, you know, that he wanted to pull the tooth, but David, uh, I guess, did not, did not want to, but, anyway... 
So I guess Kevin decides to improvise and says he does it himself. So he takes a pair of pl- takes the pair of pliers and it took several tries to get the tooth removed. But man, yeah, at first I think it broke. I, I think it took like he pulled had to pull out the rest like that. But man, you know, using a pair of pliers to pull out a tooth that's that's killing you, man. Oh, I mean that right there, and the, and the fact that Kevin did, you know, the fact that Kevin did it and like like that, man, man, oh man, oh man. Ugh. <laughs> Well, there's a way right there to prove uh, just how tough Kevin Von Erich really was. So, man, pulling out that tooth like that, and you know, I, I would have, I would imagine, hey, you pull out that tooth, you're gonna feel sore in that spot for a, for several days. It, it, you're not just gonna feel sore; you're gonna feel pain. I mean, the bleed—you you could, you know, pulling out a tooth, you're gonna bleed, and if you do it, do it wrong, I mean, the bleeding can, you know, can be excessive. But, but from what I understand, he pulled out the tooth, and that was it. So, wow. But now things really get intensified. Now, this is where we learn a lot about the fabulous Freebirds. You know, the the rivalry between the fabulous Freebirds and the Von Eriks is beyond simply well documented. You know, I spoke earlier about the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette briefly being with WCCW. Now, I might be wrong, but this is from research that I saw. The reason why the Midnight Express did not end up staying long term with WCCW was because. They could not get a rivalry with the Von Eriks. Now, obviously, if you're a tag team or a stable and you get to world-class championship wrestling, of course, more than anything, you want to work with the Von Eriks because if you work with the Von Eriks, you know, money, a lot of money is being made. <coughs> Excuse me. But I think the Midnight Express came in and they feuded with a team called the, F- the Fantastics or something like that. I'm not sure. But so we get to the fabulous Freebirds and, of course, you know, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and I, I, for, I forgot I forgot the other name I forgot the the name of the other guy, but um anyway, and, and I deeply apologize for that. So, but you know, as we know, the, the fabulous Freebirds, you know, biggest villains in the in the wrestling of the uh, in the history in the history of the wrestling business. So anyway, you know, and Jimmy Garvin said that you know he used to hang out with them like that. He used to go drinking with them all the time. So. You know, the, the birds had a house in it, and he would stay with them. You know, he, he was a heel. So Jimmy Garvin, the heel, stays with, you know, with the heel, with the villainous Freebirds. I mean, back then, heels kind of, like, bunk together and kind of live together and travel together the, the ba- while the baby faces would do it, would do it like that. So back then, remember, back then, you, you couldn't break kayfabe. Villains could not be seen in public, whether it was in a restaurant or a bar or hotel. They could not be seen in the same place with the good guys because that would kill the wrestling business. Remember, back then... If you were a baby, if you were a top baby face of a of a territory, a promotion, whatever, if you were seen in the re- in the eating and or drinking in the same place with your with, with with the heel that you're main eventing with, huh, oh yeah, that would kill that would that, that would smarten up the fans. That would kill the business. But anyway, I mean it's different now. But anyway, so basically, Jimmy Garvin tells a story about how he used to drink with, and party with the with the Freebirds, and there was one night where. You know, uh, they they uh, they didn't have the key to the house, but then you know Terry actually says that he does, and then uh, kicks you know kicks the door so hard that it, it's off the, the the frame, and they never even fixed it. But you know the fact that you know I like how they say they keep the temperature at sixty eight degrees due to all the drinking, and oh, uh, and, and I think one night like Buddy uh, was one of them, uh, like that. Uh, was basically saying like how after after a sellout crowd show, you know, Buddy was celebrating and then like 
kind of did something like he did a backflip on a coffee table and then it broke and then he set it on fire and then then ended up burning all the furniture in the house. I mean, shit. I mean, when these when these rest, when these wrestlers do that, I mean, yeah, of course, you know, what do we think is going to happen? You know, you, you basically you have a sellout night, you, you get a good payoff, you, you go out and party. Yeah. So, yeah, but it was yeah, Buddy Roberts, yeah, Buddy Roberts, Michael Hayes, and Terry Gore, they're the three, the free the freebirds. So, yeah, so it was Buddy Roberts who basically uh, did that thing and then put all the furniture on the on, in the in the fireplace. I mean, man. But you know, we talk about Buddy. I mean, we get to Terry Gordy, and you know, Terry Gordy, very known, very known for his good work. You know, very. And, and, but the, this story right here, man, all because a car dealership was working on his car. They did not get it done in time, or they were not doing it quick enough. Maybe like that. Whatever the case was, Gordy was pissed off. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen this episode, and you want, you're wondering what Terry Gordy did. He took his car, drove right through the freaking the window of the dealership in front of everybody, basically jumped on the hood and pissed all over the floor. Uh, Terry Gordy, Gordy put up a front, peed all over the floor in front of everybody, caused a ruckus and would not stop until the staff apologized and then, and then f fixed the, the problem and worked on his car, which they eventually, which they, uh, you know, apparently did so. Oh, I mean, the fact that he was a villain, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it. he basically reminded everybody. I mean, again, you know, some of these people, I'd imagine they weren't wrestling fans. But, you know, even, w, even, even though a lot of WCCW had a lot of fans in Dallas, and I'm sure they had fans all out of the area as well, like in Austin and Houston and whatnot. And I'm sure in states like Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana as well. But anyway, I mean, what Gordy did, I mean, you know, just driving right through the, the dealership like that. Getting on top of the hood of his car and peeing all over the floor in front of everybody and yelling and causing a ruckus just like that because he was unhappy with the service. Oh boy! I mean, at the end of the day, what we can also say he he did what he felt was right, and at the end he was just kind of being in his character and being pissed off. But oh, but man, it was just amazing how villains back then would would, would take things to a certain level. But but man, but the, but the the Freebirds. I mean, we haven't even heard the best because. The day that the because because you know this is where we learned a lesson. I I was not aware that the fabulous Freebirds at one point were baby faces. I mean, and especially the you know how how the heel turn came. I mean, this is where we get to a huge intense part of the story. And you know I'll never forget in this episode when Chavo said that there's nothing on TV today that can compare the rivalry between the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. I mean, for the for the most part, he's very likely right. I mean, you know you talk about the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds. I mean. You know, imagine, you know, the Horsemen, I mean, in fact, that if the, if the Von Eriks versus the Freebirds basically, basically makes, makes the likes of something like the Von Eriks versus the Four Horsemen look like nothing, I mean, just imagine that, but, but the Von Eriks and the Freebirds being the biggest thing right there, man, you know, of course, they remind us just how stiff the territory was, and you basically had, you either took it, or you were, or you were out, I mean, Chavo basically said, like, you know, in his case, to, if you want to enter the business, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to see how tough you are. If you're not tough, if you can't take it, then you're out. You're out. You're you're out on your ass. You're done. You're not working in this business. You're not fit to work the business. So, especially in the state of Texas. So, so now we so now we kind of you know remind a, a little of how how the the style the Texas strong style of wrestling was here with WCCW. But but the fact that the Freebirds came in as a baby fate as baby phases, man. 
You know, the, the fact that you know, the story, you know, Kerry Von Erich versus Ric Flair in, in that steel cage match for the NWA world title. You know, David Manning, actually, this heel turn for the Freebirds, it was the idea of David Manning. Again, David Manning was, you know, the referee for WCCW. He was also the head booker. You know, again, uh, Fritz Von Erich's right-hand man. But, man, you know, the the origins of the angle, man. You know, Again, to say that I learned a thing or two you know, is all an understatement, but... But man, the whole thing with the Freebirds becoming heel, because again, I did not know that they were originally babyfaces when they came in the business, when they came in to World Class Championship Wrestling. So now, were they heels before? That I'm not entirely sure. But the bottom line is, when they arrived in Dallas, they were babyfaces. So, so they decided, you know, because they wanted, I guess, you know, Fritz and whatever, or Manning, you know, perhaps you know, pictured the uh, the potential idea of the Freebirds and the Von Erichs, which is definitely again. One again, as Chavo said, there's nothing that there's nothing on TV com- today that compares to what we saw back then, and that says something. So, anyway, so there's that match in the steel cage, Kerry Von Von Erich versus Ric Flair, and this is before that match at Texas Stadium. This was, I believe, in 1982, 83. Um, I, I, I forgot exactly when the match was between Flair and uh, and Kerry Von Erich. I, if I were to guess, it must have been in 1984. Um, but anyway. So there's that match, and then David Manning is officiating the match, and you know there's actually a special guest enforcer also in the match, and that that special guest enforcer was Michael Hayes, so who, who of course you know is was the leader of the fabulous Freebirds. So, <clears throat> so I guess you know during that match as well, you know it, it, I'm not sure exactly what the concept was, but. Uh, so as I'm looking at it, you know, the, basically a steel cage match was ba- back then was kind of something you saw only once a year. A steel cage match was something that was not really seen much more often in wrestling, but but when it did happen, I'd imagine it was something extremely huge. Um, yes, and I am correct. Yeah, according to my notes, yeah, that world title match was in 1984. So this yeah, this is like a year or so before it. <clears throat> so yeah, so anyway. So Michael Hayes is a special guest enforcer, and the idea was that Michael was spo- was to get like too deep into the match, and he was supposed to he, he was going to cost carry the title. So, uh, <clears throat> but I I think also you know Carrie uh, Carrie basically uh, Michael w- wanted Carrie to win a certain way, but Carrie you know did not want to do something like that. But uh I'm not. I mean, again, I, I couldn't. I couldn't get too many details. I tried to look it up, but uh, anyway, like you know, Michael Hayes was was kind of getting involved in the match as well. Like, you know, kind of acting like a, like an enforcer. But you know, there's a part of the match where Carrie's uh, basically like you know, and in this match too, in this particular steel cage match, I, I would actually honestly say that you know there was no pinfall submission. The way to win the win win that match was to escape the cage and land on the floor. So, so basically, I think there's a spot where. Uh, Kerry's basically like crawling and you know almost about to make it out like he's about to win the title, but then Terry Gordy, who was outside of the ring, basically gets involved, slammed the cage door right on Kerry Von Erich's head, and David Manning says that he thought Kerry was dead because of how he was you know how hard it how hard the hit was and oh man and you know and the fact how how as Flair is escaping the cage, man you know there was actually girls in the crowd crying. Remember back then they thought it was. Oh, they thought that this was all 100% real. Like, the, the Ric Flair uh, was a natural, was, was a real villain. I mean, 
The fact they thought that Kerry Von Erich was was dead because he got hit so hard by Terry Gordy with a steel cage door, man. You know, at the end of the day, it made the match look good. I mean, they made <clears throat> Terry Gordy basically did his job, and maybe and whether he hit Kerry too hard, or maybe if Kerry was selling, or maybe Kerry Kerry was hit hard, but he was still selling because you know, even if he was hit too hard, I mean, again, it's it it, it was all hard hitting, it was all stiff anyway, so it, it should have been something anything new. So that's why part that's why I believe Kerry was just selling, but David David Manning thinking that Kerry was dead, man. But, you know, it was basically considered the best. You know, David Manning says that this is the best angle in the history of the business. And honestly, it's definitely up there. But this is was this was the perfect way to get the fabulous Freebirds to turn heel because the leader like that, you know, like, like that. And then Gordy, the enforcer of, of the Freebirds, you know, slams the cage in a, uh, on Kerry Von Erich's head. Ric Flair escapes the cage and wins. Girls are in the crowd crying. I'd imagine the fans were pissed off as well. Man, but this is what this is what put world class championship wrestling on top of the world. I mean, this is what put it on the map higher than ever, and this is what started the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. So, man, man, oh man, oh man. <sighs> you know, I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, they show a clip of a promo like saying that how I, I think it was Kevin Von Erich saying that the whole rivalry between the. Us and the Freebirds. It's not a Texas versus Georgia thing because the Freebirds were from Georgia. It's like this is like between uh, dignity and filth or something like that. So I mean, I'll have, I, I'm not sure exactly what Kevin Von Erich said, but I know that he said something that this is not a Texas versus Georgia thing. This is a this is like dignity uh, against filth, and you know, of course, filth would be the the Freebirds, and the dignity and it would be uh, the Von Erichs, but. Man, but you know the fabulous Freebirds that heel turn—that's gotta be that. That's definitely one of the top five heel turns ever in the world of professional wrestling. I mean, that put the Freebirds over as heels. It got the Von Erichs even even over as baby faces. I mean, that's what started the whole thing between the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. One of the best rivalries in the history of professional wrestling, even to this day, still considered one of the best rivalries. A rivalry that we should be talking about today. A rivalry that we should be talking about fifty years from now, hundred years from now. 200 years from now, 1,000 years from now. The Freebirds and the Von Erichs is a rivalry that we'll be talking about for eternity, and quite frankly, we'll always have to be talking about it. It will never get old. It will never be in a position where it's not worth talking about because Von Erichs and the Freebirds was huge, and to this day, it still has a huge impact on the business. All right, final phase. Well, huh, Jimmy Garvin. Huh. Now, Jimmy Garvin was one of the first wrestlers to come out with a valet. Now, in wrestling, there's valet and there's manager. Now, some people say it's the same thing. The concept is somewhat similar, but a valet and a manager is different. A manager... I mean, a valet would, a valet would kind of, like, basically depict it as a female manager of, of, of a pro wrestler. Like, when a female is uh, managing a male wrestler, or a manager would be basically, like... You know, like that, like, but, you know, managers, you know, get involved in the match more. The managers managers will sacrifice, sacrifice themselves and take bumps just to make sure that, the, that their, man, their client, you know, their, he, the heel wins or something like that. But anyway, so how Jimmy was one of the first guys with a valet and he tells how he was working in Florida and that <clears throat> somebody named Ernie, Ernie Ladd told him, look, you're a great wrestler. But you're not you're not really gonna sell you're really not gonna sell tickets and make money unless you have a gimmick. So basically, Garvin sold. You need a gimmick. You're talented. You're good on the mic. You can wrestle. 
but you don't have a character. You need a character, and, you, and wrestlers do need gimmicks. You have to, because there's something known as working the gimmick. Like, you have to have a character that you're good at, that, you, that can make money, that's going to get the, that's gonna get you, that's going to that's gonna get the fans' attention. Like, you know, so... So basically, uh, there was a wrestler named Gorgeous George in the 50s who also had a valet. So basically, I think the idea was, well, let's utilize that character, but modernize it to a 1980s style, something like that. So kind of, kind of revive the character, and I'll do it, so... And then his his um, valet would be his cousin named Valerie, and she was known as Sunshine. So, and of course, you know they kind of you know put her over, describe her as, as a natural. And I think there was also there was also the, the the angle where David Von Erich I think gave Sunshine that sp- a spanking, <laughs> like that. So you know back 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 then you know those kinds of things was kind of like normal. So. <clears throat> you know, of course, you know Jimmy. Uh, but we mentioned how Sunshine and Buddy always stayed up all night drinking uh, Jack Daniels, I think, and he was worried about her. But and I think he basically said at one point he knew that he was gonna have to replace Sunshine with his real wife, with his wife, like that. And so Patty, Jimmy's wife, is Patty, and I think the name the name they gave her was Precious, and make her the Valley of Sunshine. So, so, so the whole thing basically presenting uh, like that, and then. There's one match where uh, Jimmy Garvin loses, okay, and I, I think basically, uh, I'm not sure exactly, you know, how the concept, you know, came that to be, but I think the whole thing with, with uh, Precious and Sunshine, you know, after Jimmy Garvin loses a match, they kind of get into a fight or something like that, but uh, uh, I, I'm not sure who, who had lost the fight to. I'd imagine maybe Kevin or maybe with somebody else, but the whole thing was kind of like a soap opera. But the the two end, would end up feuding, and then basically uh, that, that that was kind of it. And Garvin kind of says how how hard they would hit each other. I mean, again, it's world class championship wrestling. If you can't if you if if you can't work stiff, or if he can't take it, then you was out. So, but there was actually serious heat with him. That's what that's what he reveals. There was serious heat between Patty and his cousin. So so for Jimmy, I can't imagine you know what <laughs> how that made him feel. But but man, you know. But there was no better way to end it. But you know, we're not we're not even finished yet because I almost forgot about this. But thank God I have my notes right here, right in front of me. Oh, the day that David Manning saved the day. Now this was another match between Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair. Now I'm not sure where exactly this match took place, but the funniest thing is how David Manning tells the story that somebody stole money at a show and tried to run away, and then David Manning went after the guy. So. During the match between Kerry, so Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair were in the ring, and the police who were security for the show apparently walked close, walked up close uh, to the ring, I guess to see the match or to keep the fans away or whatever. I mean, whatever the reason was, I remember even officers back then, but you know, <laughs> had to be there. Tell me, I mean, police officers always had to escort heels out of town, especially if you were a huge heel and you had legitimate heat. But the police had to escort the villains out of the cities, so. So for some reason, the officers get uh, maybe they just wanted to get a closer look, or maybe you know to keep to keep ringside uh, under under a supervised watch. I don't know, but David Manning says that all of a sudden he hears somebody screaming. He stole the money. He stole the money, and then he sees like then they they kind of show the reenactment scene of like that. So this is when like this was at the ticket office or the ticket gate. So and I think it mentions that how Manning had to be the one man security guy when when the when the police officers had to you know would be uh, drawn away from the. Uh, from the ticket booth, you know, where the money was from the ticket sales, so, 
So uh, Manning pulls out a gun and chases after him, and then the house, Manning, we all know, shoots four times, but then the gun runs out. Apparently the gun was not fully loaded, but he continues to chase, and then that, that robber jumped behind a, a dirt pile, and Manning caught up to him, and then there's a physical altercation, and then Manning how it hits, the, hits the thief right in the head and busts his head open, and then all of a sudden, the, the they show that I mean, these reenactments are, are amazing. All the officers, you know, immediately rush in and take a statement. And then Manning says, you know, I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy. We yada yada yada. So and then, but but, but you know what's funny is that apparently rumors were circled around the locker room saying that David Manning shot the guy in the face, but he says no, it's not true. I hit him, but I didn't shoot him. But he says he only shot four. He only shot four times in the air. But, you know, the officer, you know, whatever he told the officers, the officer says, why? You, you know how much paperwork you could have saved us? So, <laughs> oh, man. So I'm, I'm not sure, honestly, exactly what the officer said. Like, you know, the, I think he, he told the officers that the gun was not fully loaded. And then they kind of said, why not? You know how much paperwork you could have saved us? And then <coughs> the officers literally took the clip, filled it with bullets and gave the gun right back to Manning. And then that was it. So, man. What a story. I mean, the fact that David Manning went after a robber that stole money like that. I mean, you mess you mess with David Manning. I mean, you mess with the Von Erics, you mess with David Manning. You mess with world-class championship wrestling. You mess with all the wrestlers. You mess with the boys and the girls in that locker room. So, man. And then, you know, if Kevin, you know, how, uh, David Manning, you know, says how Ric Flair is you know, like that. says, nope, like that. So, even Ric Flair asked him about it because this was because Ric Flair and Von Eric, and Kerry Von Erich were were, were, both, were both in the ring when the, all this was happening. So, oh man, and, and this story was basically the best way to close out the episode. And man, you know it, it, it's amazing, you know, like how it is to I- explain, uh, you know, how Jimmy says at one point how it's hard to basically explain all the things they did in WCCW. You know, like, especially from all the things they did in wrestling back then, but, you know, you know, how, uh, he's, Jimmy says he's glad to be alive because he feels that he shouldn't be, maybe because he, because he was a heel, because, you know, he was partying with the Freebirds, I don't know, but, but, you know, Kevin says that, you know, the people that you remember as, you know, his family suffered and everybody suffered because, you know, everybody loved the Von Erics, I'm telling you, when, in that episode of Dark Side of the Ring, you know, when we learned that a Von Eric died, I mean, people would be crying, like, Losing a, I mean, in in Dallas Fort Worth, when one of the Von Erichs died, I mean, we, the people lost somebody they truly loved. Like it's like losing a member of your family because the people loved the Von Erichs so much. The Von Erichs were considered, you know, almost like family. I mean, again, to say that the Von Erichs are gods in the in the state of Texas or in the Dallas Fort Worth area, but honestly, in the whole entire state of Texas, that is an understatement. The Von Erichs were more than gods. They were more than beloved. I mean, the Von Erichs were indeed the wrestling pride of the state of Texas along Terry, alongside Terry Funk. I mean, Terry Funk even wrestled with WCCW as well, so... Yeah, man, but that's still... You know, seeing the clothes on, I mean, I mean, it, it, how single, it, what Kevin Von Erich was saying about his family, I mean, that's when I was breaking up into tears again, and man, the whole thing was just... It was so tough to... Uh, very, very tough to, very tough you know, pill to swallow, especially because you know hearing those stories about the Von Erichs, you know, seeing how we lost you know so many of them you know so early, man, it just shows you just how brutal the wrestling business is. And all I can say as I close it out, God bless the Von Erichs. God bless World Class Championship Wrestling. God bless pro wrestling as a whole. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Ringside Chaos is available to you on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Thank you very, very much for joining me today. And remember, if you know somebody that adores professional wrestling and they are looking for a very exciting pro wrestling podcast, Ringside Chaos is the show for them. Thank you guys very much, and happy Thanksgiving, everybody.